So the discussion of business models goes hands in hand with design. Because if you don't design something to have life extension or to be able to recover the materials at end of life, then if that's your business model, then you're out of luck because you can't actually recover those things. Welcome to Advancing Sustainable Solutions, the IIIW podcast. We are the International Institute for Industrial and Environmental Economics at Lund University, and this episode will be hosted by Sophie Sandin and Stephen Curtis. Hi, Sophie. Hi. Hey there, and welcome back to all of our listeners for a new episode of Advancing Sustainable Solutions. Now, we promised you some new features for this season of the podcast, and as such, we're really excited to present our first ever mini-series of Advancing Sustainable Solutions. Yes, this month's episode is the first of three in a mini-series about the circular economy. The circular economy is a big research field here at our institute, it engages several people and projects over all our research themes, uh, but particularly the research themes of business, urban, and policy. Over the course of the next three episodes, we are going to explore the circular economy from these three different perspectives to help you and I better understand the potential and the pitfalls of the circular economy. We also celebrate three of our PhD colleagues who are in the process of finalizing their PhD dissertations here at our institute, the focus of their PhD work has been on the circular economy. Now, over the course of the next three episodes, you will hear from Katie Whalen, Julia Neusholtz, and Jessica Luth Richter, who will share more about their research in their PhDs. We will collaborate with them to share a little bit more about their research in a way that is meaningful for you and I. Whether you are an entrepreneur, an urban planner, a policymaker, or a consumer looking to learn more about how you can engage in the circular economy for sustainability. But Stephen, we should also mention that we have already done an episode on the circular economy. Yeah, it's true. Actually, our fourth episode of the podcast was about the circular economy, celebrating the launch of our massive open online course. It was our most popular episode by far, with nearly 900 downloads to date. And our MOOC, called Circular Economy, Sustainable Resource Management, is available on the Coursera platform right now. Our previous episode provides an overview of the circular economy. In today's episode, however, we want to go deeper into the topic of the circular economy. So we will focus on business models that support or promote circular resource flows. We have invited our friend and PhD colleague Katie Whalen to guide us through the topic of circular business models for sustainability. But before we meet Katie and dive deeper into her research, I think we should rewind a little bit and revisit what we mean when we say circular economy. So, for the last decades, our traditional linear economy has exploited natural resources. We take, make, consume, and dispose of useful resources, most often by landfill or incineration. Now, in contrast, the circular economy suggests that we move beyond this linear approach by seeing the value in the waste we dispose as materials that can be used in the remanufacturing of new products. 
reducing the need for mining new natural resources. Now this is called closing the loop. A loop is then the circling of materials from their extraction to their use to their reuse and so on. Now if we close the loop, then less material is wasted or discarded. Research has identified many strategies to realize a circular economy through improving the way we take, make, consume, and dispose of resources in the economy. These strategies include narrowing resource loops, slowing resource loops, and closing resource loops. Now, if we take the first strategy, narrowing resource loops, this sees products designed and manufactured with fewer number of resources or by substituting virgin materials with reused or recycled parts. Consider your smartphone. In our previous episode on the circular economy, we talked about how the mobile phone can contain more than 75 different raw materials. Now, narrowing a resource loop in this way would be reducing the total number of materials that then are input into our phones. The second strategy, slowing resource loops, seeks to increase the product's useful lifespan. This may be done by designing more durable or higher quality goods, which enable reuse through secondhand markets or repair. Again, if we take the phone as an example, this would mean that instead of buying a new phone, you purchase a secondhand one. Finally, the third strategy, closing resource loops, sees products designed for disassembly. Products that are disassembled more easily allows for more efficient remanufacturing through using component parts or more efficient recycling of components to be used in the production of new materials. So, in order to kick this episode off, I would now like to start with anchoring these discussions in current sustainability discussions in society. Stephen, is it too wild to start with the sustainability scoop? No, let's do it. Yay! So for this month's sustainability scoop, I, you know, I just went online and I started checking what are on the news today. And what I find is that many of the news articles concern the fashion industry. And so I started digging into this a bit more and I find that the Stockholm Fashion Week was cancelled this summer because of environmental sustainability reasons. And then I also found that our own climate activist Greta Thunberg was on the front cover of the British uh, version of the fashion magazine Vogue. So what does this mean? Well, in the wake of Greta Thunberg's global impact on the sustainability movement, the fashion industry has had to follow suit. Because it really isn't a secret that the current trends in fast fashion that promote increased consumption and an increased amount of discarded clothes is not sustainable. So, as Greta crossed the Atlantic on a sailboat in September, she was also on the cover of the British magazine Vogue. Uh, let's unpack this a bit further, shall we, Stephen? Yes. Recall the three key strategies of a sustainable circular economy. These are to close, narrow, and slow resource loops. Now, we can apply these key strategies to the fashion industry. In many countries, consumers, activists, and the media have been calling on the fashion industry to take a larger responsibility in how they are contributing to, or even driving, unsustainable consumption. Let's take fast fashion as an example. The fast fashion business model promotes higher consumption rates by quickly moving from trend to trend, but also quickly to the garbage, as it may be of lower quality and consumer sees the trends moving out of style. Simply, in a fast fashion business model, resources from discarded clothes are not collected and recycled sufficiently. 
Mixed materials in our clothes make the recycling of these materials difficult in the best case, but oftentimes impossible. This means that an enormous amount of resources go to waste. As a consequence of this, it was announced earlier this summer that the annual Fashion Week in Stockholm would be cancelled. It was explained that the industry needed to critically reflect on their role in our current sustainability challenges. So instead of the event promoting the latest fashion trends, organizers in the future will consider how to promote and realize more sustainable production and consumption in the fashion industry. So let's be honest, we all wear clothes, and I think that's unlikely that it's going to change anytime soon. Therefore, the fashion industry will continue to be a significant part of our society. Of course, we applaud the industry in taking this introspective approach to examine their own contribution to sustainable consumption and production. There is a need to rethink the ways we are doing things, both on a small scale in terms of what you and I are doing, but also on a much larger scale in terms of our global integrated production systems. Now, we think that the circular economy can be an important approach to capture these materials traditionally seen as waste. And as consumers, myself included, maybe we should ask ourselves if we really do need a new sweater every season. So right now, there's a lot of talk about the circular economy, but what does it actually mean in practice? And how can we design business models that may be financially viable and also socially acceptable to consumers like you and I? Let's continue talking about this and using the example of the fashion industry. Now we can extend the lifetime of clothes in our closets by mending broken seams or patching holes. This is an example of slowing resource loops. If manufacturers and designers of garments would move towards using more recycled materials and refrain from using mixed materials in the production of fabrics, so for example, combining uh, synthetic fibers and cotton and so on, this would mean narrowing resource loops. So we're going to try something now. I want to ask you to check the little tag that's on the shirt or sweater that you're wearing right now. I'll do it right now with you. What different materials do you see that it's made of? So if I'm looking at mine... Uh, it's 51% cotton, 44% polyester, 5% viscose, I've never even heard of that, so on and so on. Then if you consider the, the mix of these materials, we have to ask ourselves, what are the processes in which our garments were produced? Uh, for example, what raw materials were used, what chemicals might have needed to be used in the, the manufacturing, and so on. Yeah, these are difficult questions, Stephen. Um, but let's move then to the last strategy of the circular economy, to close loops. This means that once we have used a garment enough, in the best case, that would mean that we have used it and enjoyed it for a long time, then the, this garment should not be considered waste, but we should rather see it as raw material for new products or clothes. So in theory, this is the ideal, which sounds relatively simple, no? However, putting it into practice in a globally integrated supply chain is immensely complex and difficult. So how do we get there? Now, of course, we can argue who has the responsibility then to address our grand and global sustainability challenges. Is it business, government, or individual consumers? In this episode, we're going to focus on the role of business in realizing more circular business models. But beyond that, if we are to address our sustainability challenges, business models must actually deliver on its sustainability potential beyond just words. 
And it should be mentioned that while we have been using fashion as an example of the circular economy as of now, the ideas of the circular economy do go beyond fashion, of course. However, I just want to say that we will return to the example of fashion later in the episode when we discuss an opportunity to enjoy a varied wardrobe that does not necessarily exhaust our shared resources. That's just a cliffhanger for later. All right, so keep on listening. So without further ado, I think it's time that we welcome our friend and colleague Katie to help us unpack business models in the circular economy. My name is Katie Wellen, and I'm a PhD student at the IIIE, and I'm almost at the end of my PhD. So the last four years, I've been digging into business models for mainly extending product lifetimes, uh, and I'm working as part of the Mistra Ries project. So that's an ongoing project at the IIIE. All right, Katie. And now, since you are the expert on this, uh, Steve and I were thinking of leaving the floor to you. Does that sound all right? Yeah, sure. All right, so what is circular business models about? So the concept of a circular business model has emerged recently because in the discussion around circular economy, it is expected that businesses will play a significant role in the creation of a circular economy. So at the core, circular business models, they strive to maximize the preservation of economic and environmental value. So when we make products, we have raw materials, we have that turn them into components, and then we turn them into finished products. And the idea behind a circular business model is that you extend this value as much as possible before the product essentially goes to waste. And we increasingly find that there is business value in actually managing our resources differently. It can come in many forms, including social, environmental, and economic value. For example, We've found that companies can benefit from closer customer relationships and increased knowledge about their products because a lot of times in a circular business, you're not just selling your products, but you're also taking them back. Another example is that they can experience cost savings because of reduced manufacturing costs. And, well, politicians love this one, but circular business models also promise job creation because if you're doing repair, remanufacturing, then you usually need highly skilled people to do this. Uh, for the Mr. Reese project, my colleagues here at Lund and I put together a report about drivers and barriers for circular business models. One of the things I'm hearing and what you're sharing is that there are environmental benefits, uh, social benefits, economic benefits from engaging in the sharing economy at a societal level, but also from the perspective of the business. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit more about how businesses can go about capturing the value through circular business models. Yeah, that's a great question, Stephen. Uh, in our research, we've been looking at how companies, and I've also been particularly interested in entrepreneurs, and how they can contribute to the circular economy. And we've found that it essentially boils down to the strategies that I believe you mentioned earlier at the beginning of this episode, mainly slowing and closing resource flows. And circular entrepreneurs, they know these two strategies. And there's one thing that uh, I've discovered they have in common. Do you want to know yeah, what sure, it is? Please. So they ask themselves, what if I could do one of these two strategies? What would be the business case? And then on the other hand, who would this be meaningful for? And I think that's quite powerful. Um, I have an, ex an example to illustrate this as well. 
So it's from a company that repairs mobile phones. Uh, I can I can share it, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, and I think it's fun that you mentioned the mobile phone as an example for uh, the circular economy, because this is also what Steve and I used in our previous episode on the circular economy. So please go ahead. Yeah. So the company is called Giab, and they're actually located just a couple kilometers outside of Lund. And they asked what if we could extend the lives of phones. What would be the business case for this, and who would this be meaningful for? The obvious answer is people who have broken phones. But the more interesting one, of course, and the one that Giab discovered, is insurance companies. So now they work with insurance companies to repair and replace broken phones. And this is really nice, and the insurance companies are liking this a lot because it also saves them money. I was super surprised, but did you know that when you actually usually make a claim for your broken phone that no insurance company actually checks? Oh, really? Yeah, so now they have a check in place because you actually have to physically send your phones to Giab, and they have reported that it has led to uh, decreasing fraudulent claims by over 30%. Wow. Yeah, so I think to me this shows that there is definitely business value in how we manage our resources, and it starts with asking what if. Very cool. Uh, I really like to hear these practical examples uh, of ways in which businesses are asking these these big questions. What if? Um, but I want to go back to something that you said earlier regarding environmental value and circular business models. You want to know if circular business models deliver on their economic and environmental promises. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's the million dollar question. And I would say that it's a mixed picture. For example, we see that taking materials from deconstructed buildings and then reusing them in new building construction can lead to significant carbon savings. And my colleague Julia is going to come on the podcast next month and tell you more about that. So in the next episode of this three-part mini-series, Julia will talk about the building and construction sector and circular economy there. But we also see that individual actions by companies could actually result in more resource consumption. So there's a couple of programs that I've seen floating around where mobile providers take back your phone and they give you a new one and they do this and they offer it for up to three times per year. So three times per year, you can get a new phone. And to put that in perspective, mobile phones, well, I've had mine for now at least three or four years, they can last for quite long and still function as long as they have the supporting system. And even if those phones are coming back and being recycled, there is a question about whether or not it's actually increasing production and consumption. So that's, that's a bit of an issue. On the other hand, those phones could be going to people who couldn't afford new phones or could just don't have access to a phone. So that would be a plus. Uh, yeah, that's the kinds of the, the trade-offs that we have to consider when we talk about well sustainability and also circular business models because things are never black and white. So we've been talking about business models, circular business models, and how companies can actually do this in practice. And one part of circular business models any business model really is the the customer, the user of products. And now we're going to segue into that and talk a little bit about customers and how do you actually create a business offering for customers when you think about and ask what if closing, what if slowing. 
So I want to return now to the example of fashion, because I know that you, Katie, uh, have been involved in an EU educational program that concerns entrepreneurs and circular business models. Yeah, that's right, Sophie. And not only this, but the example we're going to dive into right now in a minute is around fashions. The project is called Cebu. Uh, it's a kind of a funny name, but I think it's an analogy to a computer booting up. Uh, and so instead of a computer, we're booting up circular entrepreneurs who want to create a circular business. And I'm, I'm a coach, and I'll tell you about, about that in a second. But first, I would like to ask those of you who are listening, think about your closet. How many garments do you have? How many garments do you have that you've only worn once? I am guilty of this, and I imagine that there's many of you out there who would hate to admit that there are quite a few pieces of clothing that are hiding in the backs of your closet and probably have never seen the light of day, or maybe they have once or twice, but never really used to their full potential. So this is one of the topics that we've been addressing in Cebu. Cebu is funded by an EU funding body called EIT Raw Materials, and we're working in collaboration with two other organizations, Vito from Belgium and University of Trento from Italy. My colleague Hoken and I here at the IIIEE, we're the, the Lund team, and we're mentoring these 21 budding entrepreneurs who have the ambition to create their own circular business. It's been about three months and they've formed eight teams and now they're working with group mates from all over Europe to address slowing and closing resource flows. Okay, great to hear a little bit more about Seaboot. Um, how far are these budding entrepreneurs into the into the coaching program? Yeah, so they're still in the, st the early stages with their business ideas, but they've made a lot of progress in the last two months. Uh, first, they focused on defining and validating the problem, basically investigating what they're actually trying to achieve. They kind of got mad at us because and they found it frustrating because they wanted to immediately jump to solutions. And we said, following sort of the, the lean startup method, sit with the problem for a while and make sure that you're solving the right problem. Because again, the key is asking, what if, what if I could do one of the two strategies? What would be the business case and who would this be meaningful for? Because for us, on top of ensuring normal customer needs are met, we want to ensure that they're also addressing environmental concerns and have a positive environmental impact. These entrepreneurs were in Belgium two months ago. Yeah. They joined us then here in Lund earlier in October. Yes. Yeah, and then they're going to do the final month in November, and they're going to Italy. Oh, cool. Yeah, so they get to see a little bit of... Europe and in the and likely learn from the coaches from all of the the different partner organizations. Yeah, so it's really cool because we had like these little walks around town. We really try to take advantage of the fact that there's so many really cool things around circular economy happening in the places that we've gone to. So for instance, when they came here, we went to go visit Giop which was amazing. And they walked away like full of ideas about like, oh, we don't actually have to do it all. We can work with partners. That was brilliant to see. And in Belgium, they went around to these, all these little shops, these local entrepreneurs seeing kinds of things that they were setting up and doing. So it was, it was really cool. It was very inspiring. Um, and when they were here in Lund, they were working on validating their problem, but then also starting to come up with a solution. So I actually managed to catch one of the participants' thought for the podcast. Uh, Lucille Stolb is one of the recent graduates from the master's program here at the IIIEE. 
and she's been working with proposing a clothing library. So again, we're back at the fashion. I love how this episode kind of comes full circle. Uh, and so here we're going to hear Lucille talk about the Seaboot project in her own words. Lucille, your group has been looking at investigating a clothing library concept over the last couple of months. Um, my first question kind of is why a clothing library? Well, the textile industry has many challenges that you could deal with all along the value chain. And our team was very interested in dealing with the overconsumption of clothes and trying to offer an alternative to, to consuming too, much, too many clothes at the same time. And the idea is to, today, many women and men that face the, um, the challenges of how do I dress being fashionable, sustainable uh, in the same time, and also at an affordable price. And so um, clothing library is a concept where um, you're not buying a product, but you're renting a product. So um, the idea of transforming, um, of paying for a service rather than a product and enjoying the variety of clothing um, at an affordable price. Mm -hmm. And between the different Bootcamp 1 and Bootcamp 2, you did a survey. Could you tell us about this survey? What were you hoping to find? So the whole survey was to, with the objective of validating the problem. Um, and we got to say that even we had many responses of the, in our survey, this was not clearly validated. Um, so the, it seems that it's not you really a problem, or at least in the way we've been formulating the questions, we haven't been able, uh, able to identify a clear, a clear issue. And in terms of linking like the customer proposition to sort of the circular proposition, how has that been, uh, like extending clothing, but then also finding if there's actually a problem that customers, like a need that the customers have? Like, yeah, maybe you could just reflect on the process. Yeah, it's, it's definitely quite a challenge. Um, I think it's easy to get many ideas on how could you integrate circular strategies into your business model. Uh, but then does that really make sense for the customer? And is there a real, a real cu uh, customer need uh, that's tricky to identify? Uh, and we're not yet there. Um, I do feel that uh, because circular strategies are not yet mainstream, it's hard for people to imagine that something could be done in a different way. Um, so there's a need for, I think, secular entrepreneurs to be pioneers and to push innovative uh, solutions on the market. And maybe the customers are not ready for it yet, or maybe they don't see the value in it right away. So it's hard to validate that problem up front. But I do feel that by experimenting and uh, creating pilots, there's a need to validate this for this problem further mm -hmm. and what will you take what sort of steps will you take in the next the next steps between this boot camp and the next one um, our idea is to uh, really experiment what we have so far and not wait for um, um, confirmation from additional surveys we really want to put it on the market as soon as we can uh, so basically the idea is have people do the rentals and see how they how they enjoy that process. How does that goes? What does it look like from a pricing perspective? Are people uh, in interesting in the idea? Either um, following, I mean, are they taking part in the rental for the full time? Uh, do they enjoy that process? Uh, what do they wish to see um, as an additional service? Uh, what, what do they enjoy or not enjoy? And then take this as a 
first experiment to build on several others. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And my final sort of question is just a little bit of a reflection. Like, what are you taking away from this sort of this boot camp process so far? I think one of the preconceived ideas that I had on entrepreneurship, it's it's extremely time-consuming, it's extremely resource-consuming, and actually it's not. There's a lot of ways that you could try things out um, with lean processes, with almost at no cost, and this is very encouraging for everyone out there that has a circular idea and just want to try it out. There's ways that you could do that with partnering with the right people, with talking to the right people, and I feel empowered with the Seaboot to uh, move forward and try things out. Uh, yeah, just very empowering process overall. So that was Lucille Stolp talking about her and her team's circular business model idea in developing a clothing library. I certainly hope to see a clothing library pop up here in Lund. I think that'd be a really great addition to our community. Um, But Katie, I'm wondering how can we follow uh, Lucille, her team, and the others at Seaboot in what they will do next? Yeah, so actually, now Lucille's team is working on validating their solution. And so for the listeners out there, you can actually head over to rentcozycoats.com to see what they're doing and their minimum viable product, or their MVP, for those of you who are familiar with entrepreneurship. Uh, So that's really exciting. But then in... Going forward in November, the teams will pitch their ideas in Italy. And for those of you who are interested to follow along, I hope that we'll have some information up either in November or sometime in December. You can go to the Seaboot website and we'll have a direct link to that website on the IIIW podcast website. Yes, absolutely. You, As always, you can always find all the links uh, in our newsletter uh, and on the um, IIIW podcast page. Um, Katie, I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us today and for guiding us through circular business models and your research. Are there any particular notes you'd like to end on? That's a great question. Uh, So as we were preparing for this episode, we had a bit of a discussion amongst ourselves. And I think one of the things that we were kind of toying with and, and thinking about was that maybe circular entrepreneurship isn't so different than normal entrepreneurship because entrepreneurs are often motivated to improve something. We see something and we just say, okay, I have to have a, there must be a better way of doing that. So they find out what's working and then they turn an opportunity into a smarter, better way. And I think circular entrepreneurs, they they ask what if, but thinking with those circular strategies in mind and they have this sort of higher higher purpose. says that circular entrepreneurship really isn't that much different from other business initiatives. While still, there is so much to be gained in narrowing, slowing and closing resource loops for sustainability. I find this inspiring. If more businesses start to explore and experiment with circular business models, we can certainly start challenging the current, linear, unsustainable economies that shape our current systems. And we must also start perceiving value differently. That is that we must move away from fast resource loops that do not see the value in our waste, but instead see our waste as valuable materials to be repaired, reused, refurbished, repurposed, recycled, and remanufactured. Designing for durability and disassembly, 
also supports a more circular economy, but this must be incorporated in any circular business model. In this episode, we have focused on business models in the circular economy, but we can once again ask who bears the responsibility to address our grand and global sustainability challenges in moving towards a circular economy? Ideally, businesses will move in this direction because it's the right thing to do. Maybe it requires government regulations to promote or punish businesses to think about slowing, narrowing and closing resource loops. But I also think that we, as consumers, must bear some responsibility to be more conscious of our individual consumption practices. So, Sophie, I'm thinking, are there any specific strategies that maybe we can provide to our listeners that would be interested in thinking about how they can support a more circular economy? Yeah, definitely. I think one thing that we all could do is that when we go out to buy new clothes, we can check the tags in the clothes like you just did here. Check what kind of materials is this garment made of? Can we avoid perhaps uh, choosing garments that contain mixed materials and rather go for clothes or garments that uh, only have one or maybe two kinds of fabric in them that would make them easier to recycle? Yeah, I think this is a great idea when needing to buy new clothes. But of course, we can think about uh, repairing our existing clothes as well as uh, reusing clothes by purchasing secondhand um, or trading among friends. Or even renting. Yeah, exactly. In the clothing library. Exactly. So maybe you can also then find a clothing library in your community. Uh, another strategy that uh, is something that at least we try to do is to vote with our dollar. That means that we are uh, shopping at stores that support our values. Um, we then may look for brands that um, that promote more durable products that can be repaired or refurbished. And another thing we could do is write to the politicians, write to businesses, try to get the message out there, make demands. We as consumers, we are a big group and we do have a vote in this. We have a voice in this. So we want to thank uh, Katie Whalen for collaborating with us and joining us on today's episode about the circular economy and sharing her knowledge about business models in the circular economy. Uh, Katie, what's next for you? You're wrapping up your PhD here at the Institute. What do you think you'll uh, do afterwards? Well, first of all, thank you, Stephen and Sophie, because it's been a pleasure collaborating with you on this episode. What's next for me? That's a good question. Uh, I'm not 100% decided. I'm exploring a couple different opportunities. Do I want to do a postdoc? Do I want to go into industry? Uh, maybe a combination of academia and industry. So we'll see. I think I, in the meantime, I'll keep working on the, my podcast and go from there. If you want to engage with the concept of circular economy in a more hands-on and fun way, we recommend checking out Katie's board game called In the Loop, which she has designed herself. It's a serious board game that helps players take the first step in identifying what it means to move towards a more circular economy. She also produces a podcast series where she interviews entrepreneurs, practitioners, and academics about their insights into the circular economy. The podcast is called Getting in the Loop and is also available on all major podcast platforms. Of course, we will link the board game and her podcast on our websites. So with this, we bring our first episode in our mini-series on the circular economy to a close. We have two more episodes on the circular economy coming to you in November and December from the perspectives of urban sustainability and policies for a circular economy. Yeah, so our next episode launches on November 18th. 
We will then sit down with our friend and PhD colleague Julia Nussholz to discuss her research on circular business models in the building and construction sector. She also shares with us her checklist for creating environmental benefits in the sharing economy. I look forward to hearing this and much more. Thanks for listening to the podcast, Advancing Sustainable Solutions. Now, we really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to learn more about the research and education conducted at the IEEE, visit our website at www.IEEE.lu.se. While there, you can also subscribe to our podcast newsletter to always stay up to date on the latest from Sophie and I. Until next time, goodbye. Bye-bye.